0: Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio.
1: Well, in the second week of Lent, it's February 22nd, 2024. Good to be with you on a Thursday and every day here, Monday through Friday on EWTN. Because it's a Thursday, it means that we are going to be, once again, thanks be to God, sharing the wisdom, or we'll have him share his wisdom. Father Mitch Pacwa, of course, from EWTN Radio and TV, noted author and scholar, and scripture scholar especially. He has a brand new book, by the way, a beautiful commentary on Isaiah. You should check that out as well. So Father Mitch is, is really going to sit down with us, and we're going to try to break from the news a little bit early so we have more time for him regarding the fallout from the uh, very upsetting incidents that occurred last week in New York City in the Archdiocese of New York at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Yesterday, I don't know if you heard this or not, but the trans activists, the same ones who were involved in planning this whole thing, had a press conference and now still demanding an apology, an apology from the Archdiocese of New York. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Very interesting, though, because the same person who spoke to the New York Times, this very outspoken trans activist, a man identifying as a woman, he calls himself, I think, Cheyenne DeRosho or something along those lines, admitted to the New York Times that he kept everything under wraps regarding the trans activist that they were burying. And then in the press conference yesterday, he said, no, I didn't deceive, and yet, There is a video online that was posted on X last week at a wake that was held prior to the St. Patrick's events where this trans activist openly admitted to a cheering crowd that he was deceptive with St. Patrick's. Now, unfortunately, we're going to play that audio for you this morning, but this is on a a very prominent uh, conservative and excellent website, The Daily Caller. They have it in one of their reports. But we're not seeing this all over the secular media for obvious reasons, right? Because it doesn't fit into their narrative. But it's important to play this because in my opinion, as a media expert, I think this was completely orchestrated. It reminds me a lot of the situation with Nicholas Sandman and the young men at that pro-life march years ago who were approached by activists. And everyone said it was Nicholas Sandman and the students from Covington Catholic that were the bad guys and it turned out to be Just the opposite when we showed all the videos. So we'll walk through this in terms of could there have been anything that the church could have done differently? What does the church say about funeral masses? Uh, What do you do in a situation like that, which is very volatile because you're in the middle of this situation. I was talking about this in the first hour of my program with a wonderful priest who has a great podcast, Father Joe Krupp from the Diocese of Lansing, that you're, you're watching this develop and it's like surreal. You're thinking, well, this can't be happening So how do you respond? What do you do to keep the peace to try to get through it? Because they were already a very raucous crowd. And so there's all these things going on in your head, but what is the the way to respond, not only in that situation, but how do we as Catholics lovingly respond, even though we are continually being attacked for our beliefs? But I do think it is very important that we clarify and let people know what happened and how those people who are involved in those incidents at St. Patrick's Cathedral openly deceived. And we have tape to prove it. We have quotes in the New York Times, even though they're denying it. So we'll discuss all that and more with Father Mitch Pacwa for two segments. And then along the same lines, Ariel Del Turco is going to be with us. Now this is a nice segue into this interview, an important one, because she is the Assistant Director for the Center for Religious Liberty at Family Research Council. And she's going to talk to us about a new Family Research Council report called Hostility Against Churches, and it's on the rise in the United States. Now, although there was nothing physical in terms of damage or anything done to the church, the hostility was pretty obvious, and it's very obvious if you Google that press conference or so-called press conference, there are only a handful of people there that gathered in the steps of the New York City uh, City Hall. But this idea that we are the evil ones, we are the hateful ones, it's just so unfair in terms of what the church stands for. And and some of the media reports as well, if you read the articles, they make statements like the church has long condemned gays and transgender people. What? What? So because we disagree with a lifestyle and we believe that sexuality is a gift from God between a man and a woman in marriage, we condemn? That's not condemnation. God is the one who judges a heart. We are called to judge actions. By the way, uh, Bill Donahue from the Catholic League has a great press release on this, too. We're going to try to get him tomorrow for our Fact Check Friday. So that's our program for today. Father Mitch Pacwa from EWTN and Ariel Del Turco from the Family Research Council taking a look at hostility against churches on the rise in the U.S. Let's take a quick look at the weather this morning on a Thursday morning. Our National Weather Service report says a front will cross the eastern U.S. today into Friday with rain showers and a few storms. Snow showers and some mixed precipitation are likely in the northeast. Elevated fire weather conditions, meanwhile, expected today due to dry and windy conditions across the greater Big Bend region of southern Texas. So thanks be to God, looks like that rain has finally moved out of California. It is six minutes past the hour. Thanks for listening to EWTN. Let's get started with the news on a Thursday. Pro-abortion Vice President Kamala Harris says the Alabama Supreme Court ruling that frozen embryos are considered children is, in her opinion, outrageous. Last week's ruling said embryos created during in vitro fertilization are legally protected like any other child. On X yesterday, she said the ruling was, again, outrageous and already robbing women of the freedom to decide when and how to build a family. As we mentioned, we'll be discussing this in detail with Father Mitch Pacwa right after the break. Protesters rallying on the steps of New York City Hall yesterday, demanding an apology still from the Archdiocese of of New York for what they described as cutting a funeral short when more than 1,000 people were in attendance for the funeral at the cathedral for a transgender man who identified as a woman. While the activists yesterday claimed there was no deception when they contacted the church for the funeral, the activists are not only quoted in the New York Times saying they kept their true intentions under wraps, but now a separate video has surfaced on X showing the very same activists telling a large crowd gathered at a wake about how they did indeed deceive St. Patrick's Cathedral.
2: Here's a secret law. They don't know
1: St. Pat's leadership said they were tricked. The cathedral's rector, Father Enrique Salvo, issuing a statement saying the cathedral only knew that family and friends are requesting a funeral mass for a Catholic and had no idea our welcome and prayer would be degraded in such a sacrilegious and deceptive way. Cardinal Timothy Dolan has spoken out on the incident on his podcast and elsewhere and said he supports the cathedral's decision not to go through with the mass. An exhibit, Counting News Agency tells us, that includes more than 100 relics of Jesus, the Holy Family, and numerous saints will be exhibited at a parish in northern New Jersey this Saturday from noon to 7 p.m. CNA reports Our Lady of Mount Carmel Oratory in Montclair, New Jersey, will host the exhibit. The parish located in the Archdiocese of Newark, that's about 20 miles west of New York City. The Vatican's Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, or DDF, has contacted several institutions over the past months to obtain documentation that's related to Father Marko Rupnik, a Slovenian-born former Jesuit and artist. As Devin Watkins with Vatican News tells us, a Holy See press office confirming yesterday the investigation has now been expanded more than had previously had contact with various divisions of the church.
3: The press office said the investigation is continuing into allegations against Father Rupnik, who has been accused of inflicting psychological and sexual abuse on several adult consecrated women. He was dismissed from the Society of Jesus in June 2023. On October 27th, Pope Francis entrusted the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith with the task of examining the case after deciding to waive the statute of limitations to allow the proceedings to take place. The decision was taken after the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors in September sent the Pope some reports it had received regarding serious problems in the handling of the Rupnik case and the lack of closeness to the victims. Also on Wednesday, two former consecrated members of the Loyola community held a press conference in Rome at the headquarters of the Italian Foreign Press Office. Accompanied by their lawyer, one of the women spoke of physical, psychological, and sexual abuses she personally experienced at the hands of Father Rupnik. The two former nuns said that they hoped to obtain truth and justice, and denied being driven by personal revenge. I have forgiven myself, and I have forgiven Rupnik, said Gloria Branchani, reiterating her hope that the truth and the wrong suffered may be recognized. I'm Devin Watkins.
1: Ten members of Harvard's alumni filing a federal lawsuit accusing that school of failing to address unrestrained anti-Semitism on campus. The lawsuit claiming that Harvard has not dealt with rampant anti-Semitism even before the Hamas attack on Israel last year. It alleges universities' failure to address the issue is devaluing a Harvard diploma and is making a mockery of graduates. The plaintiffs are now seeking to be reimbursed for their education at Harvard, and also asking for the school to address campus anti-Semitism. Brian Shook tells us United now set to resume a daily flight from Newark to Tel Aviv.
3: It marks the first time since October when passenger and cargo services were suspended following the attack by Hamas militants on southern Israel. Initial flights on March 2nd and 4th will stop in Munich, with the goal to begin nonstop daily service starting March 6th. United says it will continue to monitor things in Tel Aviv. The airline will become the first American carrier to resume direct service.
1: A United flight from New Jersey to Los Angeles had to be diverted yesterday after a bomb threat was found in the bathroom. The flight with over 200 passengers diverted to Chicago, where police say passengers were then evacuated and the plane searched. A preliminary report saying a note was found in the bathroom claiming the plane was going to blow up. A bomb sniffing dog reportedly found a suspicious bag on the plane and connected the scent of the bag to the threatening note. The FBI is not saying if they found anything on the plane or if anyone was taken into custody. Already 11 minutes past the hour, so we're going to shorten the news a bit so we can give more time for the amazing Father Mitch Paqua for our Cultural Connections segments, which occur every Thursday, good Lord willing. And we do two segments with Father, so we'll get started talking about uh, the continued discussion out there. How do we respond as Catholics to all that's being said about us following? that funeral last week at St. Patrick's Cathedral in the Archdiocese of New York. We'll be right back. When the need for senior care arises, home is where the heart is. Visiting Angels provides home care for mom or dad up to 24 hours per day, including personal care, meals, and light housework. You may select your professional caregiver with Visiting Angels. More information at visitingangels.com
2: or at 877-374-LIVE. That's 877-374-L-I-V-E. Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care.
3: Greetings, brothers in Christ. I'm Bishop Earl Boyer, inviting you to the Accept the Challenge Catholic Men's Conference on March 16th at the Girvan Game Above Center in Ypsilanti. We've lined up incredible, nationally-renowned speakers, Justin Fatica, Doug Barry, and our very own Father Joe Krupp. There will also be mass, confessions, and a wide variety of Catholic ministries to help you grow as a man of God. Visit acceptthechallenge.org to register today.
2: Ave Maria Radio invites you to feast on the joy of fasting this Lenten season and all year long. Fast from judging. Feast on loving. Fast from noise. Feast on silence. Fast from differences. Feast on unity. Fasting is a part of true Christian life. It liberates us from this world as we grow closer to Christ.
1: always appreciate the great insight and knowledge of our guest every week here on Cultural Connections, one the only Father, Mitch Pacwa. Check out his recent book, Brand New, beautiful commentary on Isaiah. So Father, you not only watched the video clips I sent you, but also the funeral. And yesterday there was a press conference, if you want to call it that, there was like eight people there. Um, They had a protest at a press conference on the steps of New York City, claiming that the church has been awful, the church has been discriminatory, we're not inclusive, we're the ones who are deceptive. And yet, as we played during the news, and we can have Andrew pull that cup, a cut up. It's a very cl- a short clip of a wake that was prior to the funeral at St. Pat's, where the same person who was leading this press conference yesterday—I think he calls himself Cheyenne Deschereau or something along those lines. a yeah. man identifying as a woman—insisted he wasn't deceptive—and yet he received cheers and claps and you know all kinds of hoop- hoops and hollering at this wake. Where he admitted he deceived the church. Andrew, play that clip again. Here's a
2: Little Secret Y'all. They still don't know she's
1: trans. Here's a Little Secret Y'all. They still don't know she's trans. And that yesterday at the press conference, he says he's not deceptive. And yet in the New York Times article last week, he said he kept it under wraps. So, you know, they're all over the place on this. But that is not getting covered in yep. the secular press.
4: That's not getting covered. The, the other thing, too. You know, when uh, I watched the the video of the funeral and the priest, uh I believe it was a Father Doherty,
1: mm-hmm. uh
4: well, uh old a bit older man.
1: Eighty years um, old from what I understand.
4: Yeah, yeah, I you know. Walking slowly. He uh was very welcoming. Uh he did the uh prayers, etcetera. Uh, for the funeral he continued on with um, uh, you know the the service until the uh, eulogy and the petitions and the uh, I mean I watched the faces I, I, mean, I, I speak Spanish and one of the uh, uh, people was giving a eulogy in Spanish uh, and was using uh, a really uh, insulting Spanish word for prostitute there 's a proper word, but this was a, a, a word that 's normally used as an insult uh, and uh, you, you say this to somebody when you are trying to insult them and uh, he 's using that and calls this the deceased the queen of these uh, prostitutes, mm-hmm. um, and uh, a saint, and you know the, and despite that, I, I, I have to say this: I was still impressed. The priest did not say anything mean, cruel, or insulting. He continued on with the normal prayers, but he realized that this crowd, a did not know how to deport themselves at mass. Mm -hmm. The the crowd was erupting into um, uh, inappropriate uh, shouting uh, and uh, inappropriate uh, dancing up and down the aisle in the case of one person. It was just one person. Um, But, you know, he could see this is not a crowd that's ready for the liturgy, and to use the kind of foul language that was being used during uh, uh, the liturgy is clearly disrespectful. They were much more inclined to express themselves, and as I watched the face of the speaker in Spanish and of his translator into English, that they were, they were smirking and giggling because they knew they were being disrespectful. They knew that this was completely inappropriate, and they uh, and the priest. Very, uh, it, it was just a, a smooth transition. He right. didn't say, "Well, I'm punishing you by not having the." Ma-. He didn't say anything like that. He just said, "Let us now go on to the prayers of commendation." He said the prayers of commendation, certainly prayed for the soul of this person, Cecilia. And he walked down the the main aisle with the casket, said the final commendation at the doors is proper, and was praying for uh, Cecilia and for all the people there, and then very gently moved on. And it was a pastoral decision. Mm -hmm. In the midst of a very difficult and insulting situation that could have, you know, just from the way the crowd was getting more and more hyped up. There had been one uh, of the uh, eulogists who got people standing up to shout, Cecilia, and, and all this. And the priest really kept his cool. Uh, Mm -hmm. You could just tell this is an an old, experienced uh, pastor who is just trying to defuse a situation. Had he said something, I would have expected um, a strong reaction. He didn't. He just prayed for them, but did not include Mass because, A, I'll bet a lot of these folks did not know how to act at mass. They certainly didn't know the responses for mass. You know, when the the normal response is "The Lord be with you," um, he had answer himself Mm -hmm. uh, because they didn't know, and so and that they might come up for holy communion um, when they may not. I I don't know if they're in the state of grace or not, but they certainly didn't know how to act in the Catholic Church, so I suspect a good deal, a good number of them were not Catholic or were not practicing Catholics. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought he handled it very charitably and um, very gently, uh, continued praying, and I've seen some of the articles, especially in the Washington Post, Um, uh, apparently a fairly – we don't get that here in Alabama. And uh, the more I read, the more glad I was that we don't get the Washington Post. Uh, They were very insulting and were, were saying that it's a lie that we're welcoming. I thought he was very welcoming. He just realized Holy Mass was not appropriate in this circumstance, and he gently moved it away. And Cardinal Dolan's uh, commendation of the priest's
1: decision,
4: I thought, was quite appropriate. I did, there. too.
1: I thought it was excellent. That was very yeah, clear, very and, calm. And yeah. also his statement that we don't do FBI checks on those who are you know, requesting the funeral or the people who are going to uh-huh. be. Remembered right. at the funeral. So, but but this this goes to the next question because in the blogosphere and on some uh, you know um, websites and things and, and comments on social media, they're going after Dolan, they're going after St. Pat's, they're going after the priest at the mass and saying why didn't they know? How did they not not know? Because this person was an activist, but the person was anti-Catholic, wasn't involved in the church at all. Maybe the person was raised Catholic. Of fact, they, yeah.
4: they said it was an atheist.
1: Right, atheist. This, right.
4: This person is an atheist.
1: But we, it's 22 minutes past the hour talking with Father Mitch Pacqua on Cultural Connections, on Catholic Connection on a Thursday. So we have about three minutes before the break, Father. But let's talk about the process of when someone is asking for a funeral. And if you look at a parish the size of St. Pat's in New York City, they must get, good Lord only knows, how many requests for funeral masses or sure, funerals in general. Sure. So how do you go about preventing? Is it even possible to prevent something
0: like this?
4: know. In in the case like uh, a place like St Patrick's where it would be impossible to know the people the way you would in a normal parish, uh, I, there, there's no way. I had never heard of this Gentili. Um, I have no idea who that was, and I, you know, the the priest there, you know, Gentili. A name like that, an, uh, an Italian name...
1: In New York, In right. New York mm-hmm. City? Mm-hmm.
4: Come on! <laughs> Have you never been to New York? You know, this is... It, it's like, you know, being surprised that somebody named Goldberg comes to a uh, synagogue. I mean, this, this is just... The, the population of New York is enormous. 12 million people. And to blame the priest, Gentili is not that unusual a name, and Cecilia Gentili, well, okay, Um, but you know, so you just take that for what it is, and we take a trust that the family's telling us the truth, who they are, and telling us the truth, and you know, instead, you know, the organizers of this funeral should have said, "Father." This is a uh, transgender um, uh, activist. There will be a lot of activists. And he could have prepared for that. Right. and said, you know, help them, help guide them through what's going on. He was clearly surprised at the large number of people that were there. And, you know, he still didn't know who this person uh, was, that was famous or anything, uh, until, you know, all these folks started coming up. At that point, he made a good pastoral decision. And, you know, God bless him for the gentleness and pastoral care that he showed as he just went on and did something so that even worse, uh, things might not be said. Yeah.
1: This is a quote from the pastor, Father Enrique Salvo, as we go into the break with Father Mitch Paqua. The cathedral only knew that the family and friends were requesting a funeral mass for a Catholic and had no idea our welcome and prayer would be degraded in such a sacrilegious and deceptive way. More with Father Mitch Paqua on a Thursday morning edition of our Cultural Connections on Catholic Connection, co produced by EWTN and Ave Maria Radio. We'll be right back.
2: How dare you scream this blasphemy? How dare you attack us continuously for us living our true selves authentically? It's disgusting. You're preaching hate. You are teaching people to hate. You have spewed hate. When you talk about I am deceptive, I wasn't deceptive. I didn't tell you something that's not your business. Period. The deception were y'all. Because you used us knowing that this battle and knowing that this funeral would be the nail in what y'all wanted to do against this community.
1: And that was a uh, soundbite that Andrew, my producer, pulled from the press conference yesterday with the trans activists who are still demanding an apology from the Archdiocese of New York regarding that funeral last week of the uh, anti-Catholic atheist transgender man who identified as a woman So, Father, if you listen to those two clips, those two audio bites in the press conference yesterday, it is, talk about a case of projection and deflection. What they're accusing us of is what they're doing to us. Yes.
4: Yeah, and see, but, you know, in this whole situation, you have uh, folks using the church for an ideological and or political
1: theater. This is not new. No, um,
4: no, this You know, back in the days of the French Revolution, when the revolution in, uh, I think, eight, uh, 1792 took a turn toward the violent, what they did is they went into uh, uh, Notre Dame Cathedral. They put a prostitute on the uh, altar, on a, on a throne, and they called her the goddess of reason, and then they proceeded to do blasphemous, uh, orgiastic kind of behavior. Um, now, this wasn't that extreme, but it was also something quite inappropriate, that, uh, you know, uh, y- using language, ironic um, parallel, uh, you know, of calling the deceased a nasty name for prostitute in Spanish, uh, and then repeating, uh, 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 you know, uh, a nasty name for prostitute in English in the translation. These um, these are not respectful. I don't find that respectful for the dead. How did they see calling this person uh, uh, this uh, bad word for a prostitute? So how did they see that as a good and virtuous act. I don't get it. Um, and so this is something that would be uh, inappropriate at any funeral. I don't, and you know, there was something uh, also very important. Never, never once did the priest or anybody else from the church's side right. make reference to transgender, homosexual, or they didn't say anything. Anything. Like that. anything. They were saying right. the prayers for the dead. And hoping that, and praying that uh, this Cecilia and the whole congregation would see God in his love and mercy. That's what they were praying for. And that still made the people angry. Mm -hmm. Now, on one hand, uh, uh, Cecilia uh, was an atheist who did not believe in forgiveness because Cecilia didn't believe in sin Mm -hmm. and that nothing was wrong.
1: So then why even have that in the first place, then? And why choose a Catholic Church, being that this person
3: who identified as a
1: woman, this Cecilia, did not agree with the Catholic Church teachings, did not agree with forgiveness because they thought they were living their lifestyle, how they were meant to be. And they
4: thought it was virtuous.
1: Right, they thought it was virtuous. So then what's the reason for, why not just have the wake as they did that the day before the funeral and and leave it at that? Unless there was a a bigger agenda for Mm -hmm. political theater and getting their message out there, which is exactly what they've done.
4: Right, right. That was, uh, that was the only thing that I could see, uh, as going on there. Um, you know, so this is something, um, that, you know, whatever their motive might be, I don't know. I don't know their motive. Uh, they didn't say, state it. So, and we have to be careful not to do what they did. They read into the parishes, Act, actions, bad motives. That's what's going on in that last clip. They are reading into the parish bad motives about um, uh, bad behavior, and, they, uh, 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 are, and they're calling it bad behavior. And the, the, I, I saw none of that. But they we have to be careful that they don't draw us into it, because that's a rope-a-dope. Mm -hmm. kind of situation if they start making false accusations and by you know uh putting motives that were not there were not stated nothing like it there at all and then induce us to do the same thing about their bad motives um we end up being on their level we don't want to do that. This is not about politics Yes, but we have to us. state
1: the facts and the fact that they lied we take more than once. Right. Because we take they the lied, they openly said they were not honest That's with the church. Work. There's a video for that. They yep. were openly quoted in the New York Times as saying they kept it under wraps. Yep. So we have two statements from them, very open statements. So we have a right to ask then why did you yes, decide to do this? We can ask.
4: Well, and but wait for them to come up with their explanation. Well, we heard their explanation. I think just the fact,
1: just the fact
4: that we have them in very mocking tones. It's not just that they uh, no said that they uh, were were lying, but they do so with with mockery, Mm -hmm. and mockery was something that appeared throughout the actions of the organizers of that funeral. They were doing behavior that was mockery. That is clear. But, you know, did they have these other political motives? That's up to them, and they have to answer to God for that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we all in the church uh, have to be a bit more ready uh, that... Uh, some more of these kind of behaviors are going to happen. May recur because it is political theater. I, right. I, I can. I was at an ordination back in the seventies, and you know, a, a bunch of the feminists who wanted to be ordained stood up wearing blue armbands to protest. While the priests to be the the candidates were uh, on the floor. Uh, for the uh, litany of the saints before their ordination. And they were standing when everybody else was kneeling to protest that they felt blue that they couldn't be ordained to. The, the, one of the things that happened there is a good lesson. On the way out of church, two of the Cajun ladies were walking out there with their umbrellas and saying, Huh. Well, if I would have known that the blue army going to be there, I would have wore my armband too. Mm. <laughs> and so sometimes the protests didn't work the way they planned. And I think as the truth and these videos do come out and show them to be deceptive, and for people to show the priest being charitable and kind in praying, that will be you know the evidence. That the rest of the world needs to say. I
1: wanted to have Father Mitch uh, back on just for a few more minutes because there's been a lot of questions, including on some uh, Catholic uh, commentators and websites saying that how much of the Church know, what could they have done differently, and all of that. I think we have to understand what happens in the process of asking for a funeral. Uh, so we have an email that just came in from Missy from Florida. Missy, thanks for listening. I'll ask Father or, or read his email to you so, Father, you can respond. Because I'm listening to sure. your interview with Father Mitch Pacwa. Agree that Father Salvo's response was prudent. However, there is nothing in the rubrics of the germ that allows for eulogies. That should have never happened. That would have helped to right. prevent a rowdy crowd. But my understanding is they didn't know. They were asked for a mass. They didn't mention anything about a eulogy. They took it upon themselves to do the eulogy is my understanding. Am I understanding yeah. that
4: correctly? Uh, no, I, I do think that there was some sort of a plan uh, because the uh, priest knew that there were three people who were going to give a eulogy. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He but now she makes a good name. point
1: because we don't, in, in, in several areas in the Archdiocese no. of the we don't do the eulogies. In no, no way. And, no. And we
4: don't do eulogies for a number of good reasons. Uh, for one thing... Uh, a lot of the people are too emotionally upset in order to speak very much. And so we, you know, um, I mean, I've been uh, at at funerals where we'll have a eulogy at the end of the liturgy. When that's all done, then we'll have uh, a eulogy. But other than that, uh, we don't. Um, So, uh, and... You know, again, this crowd was clearly not accustomed to Catholic liturgy uh, and Catholic practice. Uh, that was very, very clear. Uh, they didn't know how to... Some of them were non-Catholics. They, they did a number of types of uh, uh, ceremony that uh, I know from Protestant funerals. You know We have a lot of uh, non-Catholics here Were three percent of the population, so we're accustomed to uh, you know, a number of Protestant uh services. And you know, this was just something that um you know they they did at that point. Yeah. Um, I don't I, you know you know you're right. I, I would not do a eulogy, certainly not at the beginning. I was quite surprised by that. But okay at so, the same time yeah. I also Know that you know this was an odd uh, situation, clean, unusual yeah.
1: situation. Okay, so we were talking during the break, and this question has also come up. And of course, you know, Deacon Dom—he's been the deacon now for almost twelve years—and we talk with our pastor about this. Uh, everybody's talking about it, and, and especially if you're uh, serving in this way, because it's important. Because this could happen, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. Father, going into the break again and again. So, the question has come up, possibly look asking for uh, baptismal certificates, birth certificates,
2: yeah. but
1: in terms of timeliness that 's very difficult often to get that information oh. and documentation right no it's not only difficult but it, it's
4: also something that, as people are going through grief, you know they are trying to figure out you know um, a lot of other things and you know i I don't know how easy that would be um i I think I'd find that uh onerous uh and I don't want you know funerals are sad enough. people are really suffering quite a bit, and I don't want to add to their suffering and difficulty. That's not right either, right. yeah, so that would be something. That I would uh, push to be more to be very cautious about. Right. Um, what I think may work better is if we could coordinate with the funeral funeral director, and you know that oftentimes they might know what's going on, and just let them know. Look, uh, funeral directors are strongly committed to. Um know respect for the family and the deceased, this is a part of their service, and so I would like to see um a certain amount of communication with the um uh, funeral directors that gets at you know uh, you know finding out what we can and then move forward from there. That would be my own preference.
1: Okay, Father, you're an experienced priest. Also, what about maybe, and I don't know how you do this, because again, you've got, especially if you have a parish, like something so large as St. Patrick's, where I don't know how many funerals they must do on a daily basis or a weekly basis, but mm-hmm. do you sit down and with the funeral planner from the parish, there's usually someone from the office, and handle those yeah. details, and just sit down and say, hey, we, we want to really honor your family and your loved one, but right. just in case you don't know, there are some rules. We don't do eulogies, and, you know, we are just asking kindly right. see, to respect the process. I mean, is that something that's possible I to do that, that more often? I
4: that would be extremely fair. Um, and, and what you do in a wedding. Right. I mean, you do it in weddings, you do it in all kinds of circumstances.
1: But, you know, even that, Father, there's no guarantee, because I can remember when Dominic and I were involved in marriage prep, and we would sit down with a couple, along with the priest who was going to be the celebrant, and we would explain to them that, okay, here are the rules in terms of how you may decorate the church, what is allowed, what isn't allowed. And I can distinctly remember that I got a call from our pastor. This was years ago. He said, you and Dominic got to get over here. This is out of control. We got to the church and it looked like an Elvis show from Las Vegas. There yeah. were pillars and there were lights and everything that we had told them to do, they didn't pay any attention to, and so we had to actually have them remove some of the stuff. And we couldn't remove everything because there was no time. So there's no guarantee.
4: Yeah, right. No, see, this is this is the kind of thing, and uh, especially with a funeral where you don't get a lot of time you know um you know usually it's just a few days you know that you know before a funeral um you know if that you know so these are the kinds of things that you just have to be uh sensitive about cuz you know most people unless it's somebody who is on death row, you don't know the day you're going to die. You know, that's just
2: the reality.
4: And so, um, you know, I would say that they would have to um, figure out uh, some sort of um, uh, way of, you know, being respectful about the funeral and, um, you know, at the same time, be able to uh, do something that can help to prevent this. And uh, again, I think the funeral director is the most likely person mm-hmm. to talk to. This that makes the most sense to my little pea brain.
1: I think that's great advice. I'm just going to keep you on for a few more minutes, and it's already 47 minutes past the hour, and we'll, we'll apologize to our guest and have that important report on another time because there's other questions that are popping into my head because <laughs> you're so good at what you do, and I, and I, I love your calm approach and your loving approach. And I, I really think it's important for us because there's a lot of people that are directing their and, and people love the church, and they're very upset about what happened and, and the you know shenanigans that happened inside and the comments that were you know just rough. And, and I thought the priest handled it, considering that the, the, as you said, the circumstances extremely well. But they're going after the church, they're going after the leadership, and saying there's not enough, not enough was done. What can we should have been pre- prevented prevented? All these things, as opposed to realizing, as you said, Father, that this was political theater. And there's not a lot you can do when someone is so determined to try and take advantage of a situation. And the video clip, I think, that's very, very telling that people should watch is the wake before they walked into the funeral and admitted that they were going to do
0: this.
4: Yeah, and again, this is where they are clearly, um, you know, owning up to their own, um, you you know, bad faith. I don't know how else to put it. It's a simply bad faith. And it's, it's not, uh, there was nothing, uh, even just in terms of simply being polite. You know, that there is a type of politeness that you show respect when you go to somebody else's house. You don't impose your way of doing things, and when somebody is, um you know, going, uh, when you're visiting uh, at their home, right. you take the food they give you, you uh, act respectful, and, uh, you know, this is just what should be done. That was not the case here. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's, and, and that is on the people who did this.
1: And you know what's sad, too, in, in the quotes, and, and the news and the media know better than this, and I realize that a lot of them are not, very few are educated and understand how the church operates. But look, they've got Google. They can grab a copy of the catechism online for free and look up what the church says about the teachings. And repeatedly in the Washington Post and the CBS News report that I sent you, they said the church has long condemned uh, gay people and and and, trans, and members of the LGBT no. community. No, that's a lie. Well, that's, that's a blatant lie. No,
4: well, and I I think instead of seeing it as a blatant lie, it's a it's certainly false. What I would look at that as is their own incapacity to understand the difference between. Uh, condemning sin and condemning sinners.
1: Look it and, up, Father. The catechism is very clear in terms right. of not it's condemning he, the sinner, but condemning the act. I mean, it's very clear. The catechism, doesn't, you don't have to have a theology degree. I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying. This is yeah, me, the reporter, talking. It's not I, that difficult I, hey, to pull up a church I'm teaching. I know
4: i dealing with an Italian <laughs> <laughs> But it's, I, I think, much more to the point is that, um, you know, we are dealing with um, a a situation where um, the uh, people are the ones who condemn everybody else. See, that's the part that I don't think folks understand fully. That, you know, try to say something critical of uh, transgender people at a public school. Right. Or university. You will be absolutely condemned. Cancelled. Phobic, et Mm -hmm. cetera, et cetera. Right? Right. They cannot cope with, um, you know, anything that you do that disagrees with them. They are the ones who are extraordinarily nasty. And they project onto us. The same kind of mean quality. It's not that we're the ones being mean. Um, again, the the priest at that at St. Patrick's, I thought was quite, um, you know, kind. But these folks, you know, there, there's no Latin saying "quid quid recipitur, sic modum recipientus, recipitur," that you perceive. According to the ability of the perceiver. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with the reality. It is about what they perceive. And they cannot perceive uh, anything uh, that is Christian. They They just can't. And I don't mean that this is willful. Have to recognize that part of our
1: I understand that, and we pray for them, and I thought the priest was very loving in the situation, trying to he respect was. the person that has died, but I also think we have to call the media to account here. They have a responsibility, Father, to, to if they're doing oh, a story do. on the Catholic Church, to look up the teaching, it's not a Pulitzer Prize-winning story, it's not investigative journalism, it's a quick, okay, let me look at the catechism of the Catholic Church, let me do a, a, a search on what the Church teaches on this issue, and just put the teaching in there, explaining what the Church and how the Church treats all of us, who are not being faithful to what the church says, especially about sexuality. It's the same for everybody. Father, great discussion. Thank you for hanging with us for a little bit longer. Really appreciate it. We'll be right back to wrap up on a Thursday. Let you know it's coming up tomorrow on a Friday. Stay tuned.
0: How was Jesus seen by the Jews of his day? He was viewed as a rabbi by the Jewish people and their spiritual leaders, according to the Catholic Catechism. Nevertheless, Jesus could not help but offend teachers of the law, because he was not content to propose his interpretation alongside theirs. He taught with divine authority, and the people recognized the superiority of his teaching about the law. Jesus did not abolish the law. He fulfilled it and gave its ultimate interpretation in a divine way. Jesus even interpreted the dietary law which the Jews held so dear. He declared all foods clean when he said it was not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of him, such as evil thoughts. Certain teachers confronted Jesus, but they did not agree with his interpretations despite the miracles that accompanied his teachings and pointed to his divinity. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism.
2: You're listening
0: to Ave Maria Radio. Ave Maria Radio.
1: Thanks so much for tuning in to Catholic Action on a Thursday morning. This program co-produced by Ave Maria Radio and EWTN. Check us both out online. That's AveMariaRadio.net and EWTN.com. Don't forget to follow us on those websites. Also tune in tonight, of course, to The World Over with Raymond Arroyo and EWTN News Nightly for more of all the news. And we'll talk to you, God willing, on a Friday. domani. Ciao, ciao.
0: You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E Maria Radio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.